Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Bay Area Panthers pod. Part of the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network, where you'll find analysis, news, notes, and more about the Bay Area Panthers of the Indoor Football League. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Grandy and Evan Giddings. What is going on, everyone, and welcome into episode 19 of the Bay Area Panthers pod. Yes, it is the final pod of the season. I know Mark is very emotional about this. We'll get to that in the tail end of this episode. <laughs> Mark, I know that this is our last opportunity to hop on the pod together. It has been such a great project for us to put forth for the Barrier Panthers in their inaugural season this year. But first things first, got to get the game out of the way. The final one to end the year in which the Panthers fell to the Tucson Sugar Schools. Final score of 50-41. to Before we get to all the other stuff, talking about the season, wrapping it up, looking ahead. What did you make of the Panthers' final effort in their 16th game this season? Well, I thought similar to the week prior uh, when they were at home against Massachusetts, really, really similar effort. I mean, I think you there's you know very likely no doubt that this was the team's best two-game stretch all year long. It's kind of unfortunate that it happened at the very tail end of the season, the final two games of the season. It's unfortunate that you weren't able to get a win out of either of the two, but considering the opponents that you faced, the high-powered offense of Tucson, they did put up 50 points, but you were able to capitalize against a relatively porous defense in Tucson. You score 41 points, including 28 in the first half, 21 in the second quarter alone. Um, no doubt in my mind, this is the best two-game stretch that this team has had all season long. And against Tucson, I mean, I was pretty impressed just in the way that the game went back and forth. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week, Evan, how this team would, you know, the ball wouldn't bounce their way at one point. They would commit an unfortunate turnover, an unfortunate penalty would set them back or would give the off uh you know the the opponent a fresh set of downs 
and then things would kind of spiral. They would snowball. The Panthers didn't really let that happen, at least as easily against Massachusetts. The second half still kind of felt like that, but I think, you know, you and I up in the broadcast booth against Massachusetts were kind of wary of that snowball effect maybe happening a little bit earlier. So that was a step in the right direction. And then you, you, you look at this most recent game, the last game of the year against Tucson, and I think you saw them take that a step further. It was a score for Tucson to start. Bay Area would answer. Score for Tucson again. Or actually, right after that, it was a fumble forced by Bay Area, a turnover on downs uh, mixed in there as well. The Panthers fumbled the ball right back. Then Tucson scored. You're thinking, all right, well, Here we go again, a fumble and then a touchdown for the other team. Is this going to spiral? No, the Panthers scored again. They take a lead, then Tucson, then Bay Area, then Tucson, and so on and so on. So I was really impressed just in this Bay Area, uh, this team, and their ability to continue to respond to punches thrown by Tucson. It happened all night long. You know, the second half was a little bit different, 17 to to 13, the final score in the second half. But still, you're right there in it in the second half. So all in all, Evan, I guess long story short, I was just impressed in this team's ability to put some bad plays, some mistakes, particularly defensively, behind them and just get right back out there and answer the bell just about every single time against Tucson. Yeah, I'm with you. I know that after the Massachusetts game, we discussed a lot of you know, high-powered, exciting plays, ones that make the IFL as unique as it is, but that was kind of really all the Panthers had. They didn't put together a long of, you know, a successive drives. And also the big number that we floated around was the three stops. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what you need in the IFL, a magic number, so to speak, in order to beat a team. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in this game, Tucson got three stops, Bay Area got two. That's And it's a separation of nine points. Of course, adding in some extra points, a two-point field conversion. You know, there's a lot of kind of minutia within there. But Bay Area did, and, and you know, to your point, sort of build off of what they put forth against Massachusetts. Isaac Hurd, kind of a similar game as far as starting out and passing well early in the game, then struggling to move the ball through the air in the second half. But the ground game was fantastic. I mean, 100-plus yards, five total touchdowns between three different carriers, one of them, of course, being Isaac Hurd. There's four different receivers that caught a ball in this game, so they spread the ball around a lot offensively. And then defensively, you know, you kind of just ran into, look, a player that we knew coming in in, in Daquan Neal that had put forth ridiculous numbers over his IFL career, former MVP, and they even lose their you know star running back in Mike Jones early in the game, but that didn't really stop them on the ground. And and so I think that they played you know pretty complimentary ball. But if you look at a former MVP in Daquan Neal and you say, all right, he's 10 for 20, 108 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, like those aren't numbers that blow you away. So I, I even though they did give up 50 points, a couple of them on on special teams, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job both offensively and defensively. They just played more complimentary football than maybe even the game against Massachusetts, although that's a taller task going against the Pirates who probably have a better roster. But at least aesthetically, the way that it looked, like they were able to play pretty well in special teams, 
Had some trouble in coverage, but they got one of their own. As far as a touchdown is concerned, they ran the ball pretty effectively, about four yards per carry, and then they're explosive through the air. So I thought that they just built off of everything that they had had against Massachusetts and played you know as close to as great of a game as you could against a Tucson team that was averaging 50 points coming in. That's what they put up. Yeah, and I, I agree with you in that as well. I mean, you look at what... Isaac Hurd did through the air. It wasn't very efficient, kind of similar to what happened against Massachusetts. He was really good passing the ball early, and then, you know, you get to the fourth quarter and, and you're forced to throw the ball. And you know, that's where both of his interceptions came late in the fourth quarter, under five minutes left or right around there, both of them. So you can kind of throw those out the window because you needed to throw. You were trying to force some things, and interceptions happened. But eight of 23, 115 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. I was impressed once again with him. You you mentioned the running game as a whole. I mean, Isaac Hurd led this team with 67 rushing yards on 11 attempts. That's over six per carry. He had a 30-yard touchdown run. He had a really, really nice uh, seven-yard touchdown run that featured a nice spin move around the five, and then he dove between two defenders to get into the end zone. I mean, through two full games as this team starting quarterback, Evan, I mean, I have no doubts that that Isaac Hurd belongs, you know, at at least at this level, at the quarterback position. Very, very uh, accurate at times throwing the ball. You think back to the first drive offensively on a fourth and nine, 39 yards right down the middle of the field to Nick Brazel, who had not caught a pass and maybe not even been the target of a pass all season long up to that point. I think he had more interceptions than receptions. Yes, that that is that is a fact. And he put it right on it. Was a really nice catch as well by by Brazo. He went crashing into a row of seats just beyond uh, you know the backside of the end zone. But a really nice throw by Isaac Hurd. He got into a nice rhythm again with Daniel Crowell Jr. Four catches, forty eight yards. There he kind of was his safety blanket, and that kind of leads me into what this team did on third and fourth down. I mean they were much better than they had been in the past. I mean, you look at uh, Bay Area, you know, they were three of nine on third downs in this game. That's not something that's going to blow you out of the water, but uh, it, it was good. And then you look at the six times that they failed to convert on those nine third downs, Evan. They had four out of five successful fourth down conversions. So they kept drives alive. I mean, that's what happens when you you uh, are only stopped three times, and the three times you get stopped are by a fumble and two interceptions. Every time you had the ball and did not turn it over, you scored a touchdown, which means generally you converted on third and fourth downs, and that was the case as well, which has not happened at all, all season long for the Panthers. They were really good on, on late downs this game. They were, and they were good. You know, I, I thought in this game, one thing that... I guess made me realize the the progression. Like we'll we'll take some time towards the last half of this pod to extrapolate, you know, the progression throughout the entire season. But even just the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure if it was because Isaac Hurd was sort of thrust into action. And of course, the season is where it's at as far as the record is concerned. They finished the year one in fifteen on a fifteen game losing streak. But I thought that the offense looked a lot more experimental and a lot less predictable especially against Massachusetts mm-hmm. and Tucson. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were able to, every time they had the ball, they didn't you know, turn it over. That's why they scored, is because, to me, there was 
there, there was less of a, a kind of a, a scouting report for each of the teams. Maybe that's because of how many different rotations the Panthers have had to have throughout this season due to injury. But Isaac Hurd, along with you know the rushing game, the wide receivers, Daniel Corral Jr. really being the only one that stuck around the entire season that has played primarily on offense. I thought they did a very good job of sort of mixing it up. They still had some situational spots where, you know, Corral Jr. was the primary target on third or fourth down early in early in the in the possessions part of me. You know, they would kind of they would give it to Dwayne Gary and try and open things up up the middle, but then they weren't afraid to go into their bag on third or fourth down when they needed to make a play. And there was a lot of times throughout this game where they needed to, so it's not like they just kind of went back to the same play over and over again. And we saw it in Massachusetts. I think they built off of, you know, whether it be kind of the belly formation that we talked about last week, or doing things like they or like earlier in the season where they experiment with a truck formation, or they would experiment with defensive players playing on offense. There was less of that the last two games, but just the fact that it seemed like the last two weeks, especially this last one against Tucson, was kind of you know a bit of the the mixing pot that we've seen throughout the season fall all into one bowl, and that's why I thought at least offensively they were able to unlock a level that we hadn't seen before and put up 41 points. Yeah, and I think all of what you said, uh, you know, I agree with, and it just becomes all that more impressive when you consider, you know, who they're doing it with. I mean, we've talked a lot on the pod, and and I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners, first of all, shout out, thank you for listening, but a lot of our listeners probably tired of just hearing about all these injuries. And fair enough, there's been a lot of, we've talked about that a lot, but you look at who was on the offensive line for the Panthers throughout this game. First of all, Joel Galvin, who was not even on the roster to start the year, he was signed, let's see, right before week 14, after that tough loss at home to Arizona in week 13, and he's been a mainstay normally around at the left, you know, left tackle spot on the offensive line. He did not play this last week. Adrian Hernandez subbed in to play at that left spot. But guess who goes down in the game? Ricky McCoy. So you need Leonard Hayeswood, who hasn't really played any offensive line for you to step in. So you have an offensive line of Adrian Hernandez, Ape Mane, who's been a mainstay at center since he was added uh, before week 12, and then Leonard Hayeswood. Three guys that were not on your roster at the beginning of the season. Three guys who hadn't played a single snap together. That three-person unit on the offensive line all season long, and they had that success running the ball. There were some breakdowns of pressure, specifically when Ricky McCoy did go down, where you could kind of see you know, Tucson, who does not have a good defense, but you could kind of see them take advantage of that group. But all in all, considering everything, I thought those three did a really good job, and so did Ricky McCoy before he went down. We certainly hope he is all right. Um, But considering just who you had out there, it makes everything you're saying that much more impressive. And it also put some pressure on a couple of guys who... You know, we're pretty new to the system. A guy like Javari Anderson, who was signed a couple of weeks ago, had one and a half tackles for loss, three and a half, or pardon me, six total um, in the game. And then, you know, a guy like Clayton Glasgow, who 
has sort of had to fill in for DJ Calhoun at times, and then Javari Anderson comes in along with Glasgow in the middle to fully take over duties from DJ Calhoun, who was placed on season ending IR a couple of weeks ago. Looking at a guy like Elijah Bell, who was pretty new tail end of the season. He had a couple of penalties in that game down the stretch, but also came up with the with what could have been a huge interception. If that touchdown is hauled in in the tail end of the fourth quarter, that basically ends the game. He made sure that that did, didn't happen, at least until the end. So there's a lot of new guys that were able to... I mean, they're basically given opportunities due to the you know number of inter- injuries that you mentioned, and they're able to take full advantage of it. So I was proud not only of the way that, you know as we're talking about, they experimented, um, they had guys step up, but also the way that they kind of came together towards the end. You know, they, they played, and hopefully they can carry this feeling into next season which, you know, is something that we'll discuss in just a little bit, but that carry a sense of playing like you have nothing to lose. And whereas towards the beginning of the season, towards the beginning of sort of the losing streak, then middle the way into the season, there, there were just those moments that we've highlighted throughout broadcasts where you felt like the game began to turn. And, you know, you and I were kind of looking at each other in the first and second half, not to say when's it coming, but, you know, you kind of wonder if that's going to be the play that the dominoes get rolling against you. So, you know, I was really proud of the fact that they seemed to have a response each time, even when they would score a touchdown. Next kickoff, Tucson would take it down for a score. Yeah. They happened twice. And each time, the offense for the Panthers, I'm sure, you know, with less stamina than before, still got out onto the field and managed to put up points and at least try and help their defense out against a very good offense in Tucson. So there was a lot of complimentary football as well as experimental football that I saw this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you look at that example that you're talking about, one of the kickoff return for touchdowns for Tucson, it was Javon White, 53 yards, just right down one of the sidelines. It came just after a Dresante Dorton four-yard touchdown run to start the second quarter because of a missed extra point earlier. That touchdown gave the Panthers a one-point lead, you're thinking, all right, we got a lead in the second quarter. Maybe we can somehow weasel out of a stop here, get the ball back, make it a two-score game potentially. But Javon White takes the kickoff back for a touchdown. Suddenly, Tucson's back up by six points. And, you know, maybe there's some, you know, thoughts in the back of the Panthers' head like, uh-oh, like this is where things fall apart. But then it was Isaac Hurd, that crazy 30-yard touchdown run where he tried to hand it off in the backfield, kind of lost the ball Tried to pull it out of the belly of, I believe it was Dwayne Gary. It might have been Dresante Dorton coming across in motion. One of those two. And he kind of bobbled the ball, tapped it up into the air, grabbed it, took off, ran 30 yards for a touchdown. And it kind of just reinvigorated the whole Bay Area sideline. And it happened again in the third quarter um, where Grant uh, Ibaugh had a 35-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. One that was kind of weird where it bounced off one of the sidewalls. He kind of retreated and then circled around and ran back up the left sideline for a touchdown. Well, guess what? The Panthers responded with a Dwayne Gary touchdown run, that one from 11 yards away. So I agree with you totally. Just their ability to take those gut punches and respond, you can just totally see how this team has progressed. Episode 19 of the Barrier Panthers pod, the 2022 season finale of the first season in franchise history for the Bay Area Panthers. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy. We're going to take a break, come back, and discuss what's up next for the Bay Area Panthers along with their future after we take a listen to some of the season's highlights as sounded on 95-7 the game. Here's some of our best radio calls 
of the 2022 season. All five weapons at the disposal of Corey Murphy, who comes to the line of scrimmage. First and ten, ball at the 13-yard line in Bismarck Bucks territory right hash. Two men move in motion from the backfield to the left side as Murphy keeps it himself. Up the gut he goes, ten-yard line, five, near side, and he runs into the end zone for the touchdown. 13-yard scamper, Corey Murphy, and the Panthers find Pater with 6.30 left in the opening period. 9-3 they lead. So Joe Newman back at quarterback from his own five-yard line. It's 14-0 Wranglers. Newman from the gun, hands it off to Dresante. Dorton off to the right, has a lot of room to the 20. Breaks free across midfield, walks into the end zone. 45 yards. Dresante Dorton, his first touch as a Panther, goes for six. Third down and five, ball on the 22 of the Panthers' side of the field. Three wide receivers, two move in motion to the left as Campbell takes a chest-high snap. Now has room to run. He steps up and gets blindsided by Khalil Young. Picked up. Jeffrey Ellison to the 20, to the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Panthers! A scoop and score with 33 seconds left. Campbell gets blindsided by Young. The ball comes loose, and Allison takes it up and runs it in for six. Second down and 17 from the 24, just across midfield. Barker to throw, pumps one, steps up, zings one out to the right side, intercepted! Rayshon Pringle down the sideline for six! Rayshon Pringle, his second interception of the season, his third touchdown with two kickoffs taken back for six. What a nice play down the left sideline to get the Panthers back on the board in the fourth quarter. Murphy comes down to the huddle, walks to the line of scrimmage with Tucker five yards behind him. Three wide receivers to the left. They stack the line on the defensive side. Murphy takes it off left guard into the end zone for the touchdown. Murphy punts the ball into the stands as the Panthers find Pater with 21 seconds left and take the lead. 38-33. So the ball now on the right side of the field. A lot of room off to the left. Alone in the shotgun is heard. Two receivers to either side. Two of them come in motion. One into the backfield. It's a handoff. Almost crumbled. Picked up by Hurd. Breaks the tackle with a stutter step. And he's gone. 30 yards. What was a broken play in the backfield? Goes for a touchdown. Isaac Hurd, his longest run of the season, puts the Panthers back on top with an extra point. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And so that is what it sounded like over the course of the 2022 Bay Area Panthers season. First in franchise history as we welcome you back into episode 19 of the Bay Area Panthers pod. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy. And Mark, it's now time to sort of take a look at the broader picture from this season the record is what it is at 1-15. They win their first game of the season. They do not claim victory the the rest of the way. But as we discussed about specifically the Tucson game, as well as a little bit about Massachusetts, there's been so many strides taken by this team. It's sort of hard to look at you know the overall numbers of 29.5 points per game, giving up close to 55. You know The running game was sort of middle of the pack, if not in the upper tier most of this season. The offense, as far as passing, had to deal with four different quarterbacks making starts for them this year. There was a lot of rotations, especially on offense and at the line position like we talked about. But, you know, if we just throw it to the people, like, this is the question that I want answers, is how do you feel at the end of season number one for the Panthers, a team that came in, we weren't really sure about expectations. Obviously, you want to be as good as you can. You want to win as many games as you can. But... For, for the hand that they were dealt, having two years off from 2020 until now, not being able to participate, and a lot of these players not being able to participate in live football, I walk away with a feeling of, I can't wait for next season. Because we saw flash so many flashes from the coaching staff, from the front office, whether they come here on the pod or we talk to them before games, as well as the players and the broadcasters also on TV and other media credentialed people that have covered the Panthers this season. There's so much to look forward to based on the glimpses that we saw this year that I, I do feel like that full 60-minute effort is on its way. It just kind of sucks that we have to wait an entire offseason in order to see it. Yeah, I would say for me, like, what's that one word that, that could describe how I feel about this team after this year? And I think similar to what you're talking about, for me, it's encouraged um, because we've we spent a lot of time both, you know, during the game broadcasts and, and here on the pod all year long talking about, you know, first year organization struggles. You know, it's rare where you have a team in their first year, you know, set the world on fire and, you know, you know, finish first in the conference or, you know, even second, third or fourth and, and make the playoffs like that's rare. And it's something that you can certainly shoot for. And that is what everyone in the Panthers organization was shooting for. Clearly, you're not you know, you're not going into any year, no matter what the circumstances are and saying, all right, you know, we're going to be. Happy if we finish sixth in the conference. Like that, that's just not how it happens. You're you're shooting for first always, but just considering, you know, from our perspective, you know, someone who, you know, is involved with the team but is on the outside looking in a bit more. You know, it's it wasn't totally shocking to see the team struggle at times this year. That's just kind of what happens for first year teams. Now, this is a team that's been around since 2020 when they were supposed to play in their inaugural season, but you know, it's a difference in prepping for a season and, and you know, getting ready for the rigors of what a full football season has in store for you versus actually playing 
and living it. So regardless of how this season went, Evan, I was going to come out of the season encouraged because that's just the nature of how these things go in professional sports leagues. Expansion teams generally struggle early. Things can turn around pretty quickly after that. Just look at Northern Arizona this year. They were terrible last year. And they're one of the best teams in the league this year. They have a chance to win the championship this year. They're going to be playing this weekend in their first ever playoff game. So if you're a Panther fan listening to this, looking for hope for next year, look no further than Northern Arizona. There's examples like that all over the place. And for me, my encouragement is only, you know, doubled or increased just based on how the end of the season happened. We just spent, you know, almost 20 minutes talking about it, how the team you know, improved as the season went on. They they played their best game against Massachusetts, followed it up with maybe even a better game. We could have that conversation if we want. I mean, so I think for me, it's, it's encouraged looking ahead to what's coming uh, next year just because of what generally happens for second-year French franchises, especially for a franchise that you know, organizationally, you know, off the football field is run very well. We spent a lot of time talking about that as well, just between ourselves, along with, you know, President Scott McKibben and owner Roy Choi. They clearly are doing things the right way from the top down. Uh, But then also just considering how the season ended, it was very, very encouraging. And I think it means that we're going to see a better team next year. Well said. And as far as, you know, looking at the team, the way that it's been changed forcibly in a lot of cases over the course of this year. You know, I'm just looking up and down at the the team stats, the player stats. One player on the Panthers played all 16 games this season. Can you name that Panther? Stevie Arteague. Yes, sir. Kicker. Stevie Arteague, the raging Cajun, the lone... I mean, that's... You think you were going to get me on that one? Come on. <laughs> I think we talked about this a little bit. <laughs> but yes, that that was the trivia question. The kicker is the only player to play all 16 games for the Panthers this season. They had four different quarterbacks, you know, a stable of backs, receivers on defense. You know, their leading tackler was, of course, DJ Calhoun. He had nearly 15 more than the next top tackler, and he only played 13 games this season. There's a lot of guys coming in and out. And over the course of this podcast, we've had the opportunity to break down some of the cool stories Mm. of some of these players. And I I do want to make sure we get one in because this is the last opportunity to do so. And a player who joined the roster most recently, that's got a pretty cool background. Yeah, so uh, Tamel Benton, five foot nine, 190 pounds out of Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, he participated in two games for the Panthers. He did not play against Massachusetts, played the week prior um, against Tucson. Uh, uh, pardon me, he, he played the week prior, and then he played against Tucson most recently this last week. He served as the team's holder last week against Tucson because Vincent Espinosa, one of those four quarterbacks you were talking about, left the team because he was pursuing uh, you know, making an XFL roster, and we certainly hope that uh, that's going well for Vincent. Um, but Tamel Benton, just a phenomenal story. So, you know, added to this team as a running back behind Dwayne Gary, but also was officially, without Vincent Espinosa, the team's backup quarterback, because he played quarterback in college at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. It's a D3 college, and Gallaudet Really, really interesting. So it was founded in 1864 by an act of Congress. Mm, I remember it well. <laughs> signed by Abraham Lincoln uh, officially to accommodate the deaf and hard of hearing students. 
And Tamel Benton himself is hard of hearing. Uh, we saw him post game uh, down there. There was a lot of other deaf and hard of hearing fans that were in the stands coming out to see him. And he was using American Sign Language to communicate with them. Really, really cool scene. But you look at Gallaudet as a football institution, and they're the birthplace of the football huddle, which is <laughs> mind blowing. In 1894, Gallaudet. They, bro- they broke the huddle. <laughs> Good one. In 1894, Gallaudet quarterback Paul Hubbard, uh, he was scared that opponents they were playing, also, you know, deaf and hard of hearing schools, were stealing their signs. Of course, they used, you know, actual signs instead of speaking because, you know, they were deaf and hard of hearing. And at the time, it was happening out in the open. So quarterback Paul Hubbard was scared that that was happening. So he got his team to huddle around each other and, you know, use their bodies as a shield and then they could give their signs to each other from inside the huddle. So that was the first ever huddle in football. And that quarterback, Paul Hubbard, he eventually moved to Kansas and he used the huddle at the Kansas School of the Deaf. Uh, of the deaf. And, you know, eventually someone else saw it, people saw it. It started to spread until we know it today, which is, you know, except for in, you know, hurry up offenses, which I guess is a lot of football today. Um, but you see huddles all over the place in football at all different levels, and it's the the birthplace of it is is Gallaudet University, where Tamel Benton went to. So that's just a, a crazy story. I'm glad you gave us a moment to, to share that because I feel like the story of the season would be incomplete without that note. Well, if we're going to be perfectly honest, you were the one that said, "Dude, we got to get this in. This is such a cool story." We didn't have <laughs> you're I, breaking. Oh, come on. Well, I know. We, I just want to peel back the curtain for the people. This is the pot, all right? You know, when they hear us on the broadcast, we got to stick to the game. There's not enough time to get in cool stories like <laughs> I that. I wanted to fit it in. Well, you did but... all the research. We had to let the people know about Gallaudet and Tamel Benton, who, and of course, I want to encourage all of you to go back to any episode. Uh, we really started. You know, hitting on them in episode one and kind of went through episode eight. But you can hear all these really cool stories about players and their backgrounds throughout the entire now first season of the Bay Area Panthers pod as we wrap things up here on episode 19. Do want to report uh, one? I, really, really oh, quick. Sorry. I do want to just say shout out to, to Dave Lewis. He he did put us on to that and he... Uh, he's the you know voice on TV. You, you hear him with the TV broadcast on YouTube as well. He did mention that to me, and then I, I dug into it a bit more. But but thanks uh, thanks to Mr. Lewis for putting us on to that. Very very. Uh, he does his research. I'll just say that he has full of facts about the the IFL and all the players in it. So. And he's very gracious with the information that he shares with us. There's been a running dialogue all year. Of course, he fills in on the road on 95.7 The Game. So you've heard him throughout this season. A big thanks to Dave. But we do have a piece of news that we want to pass down from head coach Kurt Bryan. Got a text from him saying that the contract of defense coordinator Derek Shashere will not be renewed for next season. So a bit of piece of news, of course, Terry Smith, the offensive coordinator through the first five weeks, was let go. Derek Shashere will no longer be with the Panthers. They'll be conducting a national search for the new D.C. and potentially offensive coordinator moving ahead. And that's where we want to end this pod. We want to look at what is in the future for the Panthers. And for me, Mark... I know we've talked about the optimism, the encouragement surrounding this offseason, but with especially something that stuck with me a couple weeks ago when we talked to team president Scott McKibben was about the fact that they had a shortened offseason, that they really began 
sparking things up for the 2022 campaign, even though they had been an organization since 2020. It was around August and September. They didn't have a full off season to be able to go out there and recruit not only players, but also now coaches and coordinators. So they were kind of limited to those in the area, those with experience, those with interest. And now they have a full off season to conduct a search And maybe even, you could argue, a little bit of a head start on some of the other teams participating in the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of talent out there. And I think that even though the Panthers don't have the record to be able to sell to, you know, potential new pieces of the Panthers, they have a lot of progression to sell. They have have the market to sell. They have a fantastic facility to sell. They have a fantastic front office to sell. There's a lot that they can do in order to get new pieces, and hopefully ones that can lead them to wins and potentially championships in the future. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, some of the other IFL teams. I mean, you know, and this isn't, you know, bag on, you know, other places, other, you know, cities in the IFL, but, you know, the Massachusetts Pirates aren't in Boston. You know, you've got, a, a you know, Sioux Falls, you know, South Dakota, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Bismarck, North Dakota, Arizona is in Phoenix, and that is a growing, growing market, and that's certainly a great place to be. You know, Tucson is is a college town with the University of Arizona, Duke City right outside of Albuquerque, um, you know, Vegas, obviously, San Diego. You have some of those bigger places in the West, but, but the East certainly is, you know, a little more spread out. And, you know, you look at some of the more attractive areas and i mean what's more attractive than bay area and you and you know obviously it's in san jose it's not in san francisco not in oakland but you're just a stone's throw away from everything and you're right in the middle of silicon valley i mean there's just so much going on here that that is something you can sell not only to players but to coaches and you know this is something we talked about it a lot more early in the year is you know you can get word of mouth now after one year because you have a group of players and a lot of players, mind you. We're talking about all the turnover you know, on the roster, four different quarterbacks throughout the year, a lot of running backs, wide receivers that have been in and out of the, the roster all year. Same thing on defense. You have a lot of people now that have hands-on experience in this organization, and while you know the wins haven't haven't come so far one in 15 as you know we've talked about all year you can be confident that the the organization is treating people inside of the organization the correct way and that will only spread as you know the days weeks months and years go on which will make it easier to recruit some new people on the coaching staff some new players and everything as well so um i'm with you i'm i am optimistic at this team's ability to you know, take a pause, take a breath, think about what went wrong the first year on the field, and use that to inform their decisions this offseason. Um, you know, we talked about a lot as well about how this team had years to prepare for this season. But also, I mean, you don't really know if the decision you made preparing for the 2020 season was wrong or right until this moment. Because while you have, you know, your coaching staff, you have your players set up to play in 2020, then the pandemic happens. I mean, a lot of those people, a lot of those coaches specifically, you know, are still on are still on your team at this point. This, it's not like you learned anything, most likely, 
in 2020 and 2021 when you weren't playing games that allowed you to to realize oh maybe that wasn't the right decision right it, it's in season stuff it's it's things you're seeing your coaches and your players do in games in practices that kind of inform how things need to change so um, now that they have that this it's a real opportunity um, to make those changes and, and to improve the team going forward so I'm going to be watching obviously with, with a with a you know a close eye at, at how this team changes throughout the offseason and, and how they might look different heading into 2023 no that that's well said and you know one recruiting pitch, of course, is that we've heard again and again. There's, I think, really only one other team with an NFL team in their backyard, and that is Frisco. So between the Cowboys and the 49ers, you know, there, there's a lot to like about being here, both as far as the market. You got Arizona gonna, with the Cardinals. But. True, true. But th- there is a lot to like about uh, n- the future opportunities, which is something that the Panthers also take into account when they're trying to recruit guys. They take into account the skill, uh, but also how that person is. And their, you know, how they fit with their future and the market that they're going to be in. And they're basically at this point trying to build, you know, a, a winning car. Like they're they're trying to figure out which pieces to keep as far as building a winner. You know, you got your body, you got your doors, the windows, all these different, you know, gauging systems, ignition. And they figured out this year, I, at least I believe, and is kind of appropriate considering how they finished the season, they figured out what to do away with, what isn't necessary, and what doesn't align with their goals. And so even though you say, okay, 1-15, in 15, that's not great, a lot of bad happened that you can turn into good, and I think a lot of areas, like you mentioned, were highlighted that potentially coming into the season, they felt like were going to be strengths or ways that they could win. And it didn't happen. So you put that to the side. Next year, to me, is much more of the the clean slate. Like this, this slate this year was not clean because of a lot of expansion issues that we discussed. But they didn't have everything they need. And they didn't necessarily know exactly what they needed. So that is what has been, in my opinion, kind of revealed throughout this season. And hopefully they can take it into next year. Well, we will not be getting you a podcast until the next season and that will be to be determined but for now mark i want to offer you an opportunity uh, before i wrap things up to you know give your final piece as far as we know for season one of the barrier panthers pod well i had a lot of fun i know you did too evan i mean it was it was our pleasure to, to broadcast all the home games for you at 95 7 the game and again shout out to, to dave lewis and darren arbet for for holding down uh, the radio side of things on the road. Of course, they did the TV side and the YouTube side uh, during the home games as well. But shout out to, to all the uh, the broadcasters as well. We made friends, you know, with the broadcast teams of opposing teams as well. Got to got to learn, you know, about, you know, their teams from them and it made it easier for us. And uh, just a, a really, really fun experience for me. Um, broadcasting football is is a lot of fun, and it was great just to to learn about the IFL because, I mean, I think you and I, Evan, are, are relatively similar in that we didn't have a ton of experience with the indoor game, kind of similar perhaps to, you know, the roster for the Bay Area Panthers. A lot of new, uh, you know, players that don't have indoor, whether it be the IFL or another league experience, and that's certainly something that, is on the radar of the coaching staff this offseason trying to get players with more indoor football experience. 
But, you know, we were aware of the San Jose Sabercats and, and how good they were back in the AFL days. And um, honestly, when I, I remember hearing about the Bay Area Panthers in 2020 when the season was supposed to happen and the fact that, you know, we're done with the first season and we were able to broadcast the games uh, is kind of crazy. I, I would not have guessed anything like that back in 2020 when I first heard of the Panthers. So really, really fun experience despite the struggles, you know, on the football field, 1-15. in 15. But uh, I enjoyed every, every moment of it, and I hope that uh, everyone listening on 95.7 The Game to, to the Bay Area Panthers pod all year long enjoyed it as well because uh, we certainly had a good time Um you know, trying to do our best to to provide uh, some some important information about the team. It, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Very well put. I echo everything you just said. You know, I want to add the fact that we've even seen a lot of growth throughout this podcast as far as, you know, the amount of people that have listened, hopefully the amount of Panthers fans that have come to the organization and want to stick around and see this thing through in future seasons. I mean, we saw some interaction, I mean, even just looking back at the last game, like someone tweeted at us from the stands, they listened to us on 95.7 The Game, they are, you know, inspirational as far as us because that we are broadcasting this we are putting the pod out for people who want to listen and so it's really cool sometimes we don't get to see that back and forth because we are talking through a mic but we do feel the you know the love for the organization as well as the work that we put in this season and it's been a great opportunity just for me personally to be able to grow both as a broadcaster as well as you know hopefully a media member in this market and to be able to be a part of you know the beginning of something the inaugural season of the panthers i think is extremely special and something that i'll be taking forward for the rest of of my life yeah and then i mean shout out to you know head coach kurt bryan to team president scott mckibben owner roy Choi. i mean can't tell you how many times we reached out especially to coach bryan and scott mckibben and they would you know get back immediately saying sure thing i can hop on the pod or yes here this is the explanation you're looking for all that sort of thing they were um they made it easy on us and they did not have to do that so they made our job uh much easier and uh, we're certainly appreciative of that as well and we are also appreciative of the players like nothing happens without the players as well as the coaching staff some of the guys that don't really get mentioned coordinators athletic training staff medical staff all the SAP center staff that went into you know setting up for us helping us do our job making us feel comfortable inside the SAP center where we broadcast those games on 957 the game and of course you know the, the players I'm sure feel this more than anyone, even though, sure, we have to talk about the game and we we get to break things down and look at things a little more objectively. They are trying to pursue a dream. And a lot of these guys have put their lives on hold to be able to come out to the Bay Area and try to improve their athletic career. And some of them will. Some of them already have. Some of them have moved on to the CFL. Some of them are getting ready for the XFL. And some of them will be getting ready for the next IFL season. So we have to absolutely thank the players, all of them, that have come throughout this season that have made the first season of franchise history so special. Also want to give a big thank you, of course, to our boss, Matt Nahigian, here at 95.7 The Game that has given us the opportunity to broadcast these games on the radio for you. And I think, Mark, we got just about everyone. Uh, I'll also shout out Tim Jordan, who engineer extraordinaire oh, at 95.7 course, yeah. The Game. We would not be on the... We can do this podcast by ourselves. We would not be you know, broadcasting the games That's on the air without Tim Jordan. 
Uh, Craig Valentino, who did all but one games back back in our in our studios here, ninety five seven, the game for getting us on the air. Sterling Bennett filled in as well for one game. Shout out all those guys. Uh, it's a team effort uh, to put together a football season like this. So I want to shout everyone out. Absolutely. And we hope that you will continue to stick with us throughout this offseason. Hopefully we'll be having some updates for you in the near future, whether it be about you know future coaching staff, future teams, and the future history of the Bay Area Panthers. As that wraps up Season 1 of the Bay Area Panthers pod, that is Mark Grandy. I am Evan Giddings. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll be talking to you when we'll be talking to you. In the meantime, take it easy and go Panthers. See you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bay Area Panthers Pod, part of the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.